Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of In Transition, the podcast that explores the practice of content marketing in the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm thrilled that you've joined me again today as we discuss this absolutely fascinating subject of content marketing in the public sector. And today, we are going to really dive into an area which I know many of you are absolutely uh, fascinated by because really this is part of what we have to get our heads around in terms of analytics and being able to measure. But before we get to our guest, it's definition time. Content marketing is a strategic business process that involves the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. It's designed to meet the specific needs of a identified audience. The objective is to achieve a desired citizen or stakeholder action. Well, our guest today is the head of digital analytics at the US Peace Corps, Chris Rotler. Prior to Chris working at the Peace Corps, he was Vice President of Digital Strategy and Analytics at Weber Shandwick, a digital consultant at Booz Allen Hamilton, where he worked across a range of public sector portfolios. Chris joins us today from Washington, D.C., and Chris, thanks for being in transition. Good to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Chris, this is the great challenge, isn't it? Analytics and being able to measure the value of the content that you are able to create. Where is your starting point for how you measure and evaluate the effectiveness of communication programs? Um, you know, great question. What we start by establishing what we call SMART goals. It's, it's not really a new concept. Um, it's used in a, a lot of you know, academic uh, sectors, but it, you know, it's just assuring that your goals are specific measurable, attainable, relevant, and uh, time-bound in the, the context of, you know, the marketing and communication initiatives that, that you're doing. Um, it starts there, um, and then it uh, an organization needs to identify key performance indicator, indicators um, that connect to those goals in order to really, you know, assess the effectiveness of the initiatives that you're rolling out. So in terms of um, putting in place those, those smart um objectives, those smart communication objectives, how do you link those to a organization or policy objective that may be driving the whole of the communication program? Yeah, sure. So here at the Peace Corps, um, you know, our goals are, are fairly simple. Uh, you know, we, we send out volunteers into the field around the world. Um, so um, attracting uh, applications um, from college students and you know people who are um, interested in volunteering abroad is one of our main objectives. Um, and so, in that sense, uh, you know that's an organizational goal that we can simply uh, link to our marketing and communication and uh, the sort of the customer journey throughout our website and our online engagements. 
So looking at that big overarching objective, and that's pretty easy to understand, how would you then mm-hmm. start to, to break down some of those communication objectives, driving back to that North Star of being able to uh, get more people signing up to the Peace Corps? Right. So, um, you know, first it's about segmenting our, our audiences, um, but, and, and then, you know, developing content that's sort of tailored to them. Um, in terms of measurement, though, the way that, that we do it in terms of our marketing and communication, we, you know, we categorize all our content, you know, it's important to categorize, uh, the content, I think through the categories when, you know, developing our editorial calendar and monthly and weekly testing plans um, we typically categorize our content to three buckets you know this allows us to see what content categories are performing best each month in relation to the key performance indicators that we're tracking and systematically test different components and optimize the content within each category okay so just give us a bit of an insight into what those categories are right so uh, one broad category is really content that drives awareness of uh, the programs that we offer in the field. Um, Another category is really action-oriented messaging, um, driving people to certain sections of our website um, and to apply to the program. Um, And then we have sort of a miscellaneous uh, category that, you know, we have uh, uh, that we highlight events and different other things. So really those categories are around audience behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. And your process for segmenting and understanding your audience as you're starting to develop these, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound objectives, what does that look like? Um, So, you know, there are different ways that we go about doing that. We, we conduct, you know, traditional qualitative research, um, quantitative research. Um, but what, what's becoming interesting is the more advanced analytic approaches uh, to advanced audience segmentation. Um, this is using, you know, more behavioral data um, in conjunction with demographic and psychographic data to really understand the underlying um, clusters of audiences that we have um, and to really get a fuller picture of who these these segments are um, and, and how to tailor content to them. Chris, just as we discuss that sort of demographic and psychographic analysis and using of advanced analytics, can you give us an example of something where you've applied those particular techniques or, or tools and that something has been revealed to you that you perhaps weren't expecting? Yeah, so we had um, access to, it's a publicly available data set um, that's out of uh, the Census Bureau here. Um, and it's it's essentially data, demographic data um, of zip codes in uh, the United States. Um, and essentially what we did was we used that data and ran some advanced data mining algorithms, um, specifically some unsupervised clustering algorithms. And what that did was really cluster the zip codes into uh, similar clusters. Uh, and then we you know, conducted the, the same algorithms again to sort of uh, identify subclusters out of that. And what that did was it, it, we were able to uh, identify four distinct clusters and essentially what the data set included was a lot of uh, demographic 
graphic data um, that made up those zip codes. And what we're able to do with that is essentially um, more effectively target um, some of our uh, digital advertising and, and that sort of thing. Wow. And that, so I, I want to say, I want to say that, you know, specific insights were surprising because, you know, there are a lot of different variables in that data set, but, um, we got a fuller picture of who we we're trying to target, which was very insightful for us. Yeah. And it sounds like then, you know, the benefits around undertaking that particular process were, you know, better targeting. So perhaps, you know, saving of, of, of uh, budget because you were better able to, to meet the needs uh, or better to, to target or identify who it was that you were talking to, but also okay. then really probably understanding a little bit more deeply the, the needs and the wants of the people who that you're you actually trying to reach out to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's really the efficiencies that we, we saw on the front end in terms of budget um, just getting a bigger bang for for that investment, right? Um, and you know, on top of that, we we always conduct um, various types of testing, like A/B testing for messaging, so that on the back end, um, when we're trying to uh, have these audiences convert in some way on our website, um, we're finding efficiencies there as well. Yeah, right. So just going back to this process, it, at what point do you start doing this? mathematical analysis is it right up the front when you're starting to explore you know that audience side of things where you're really trying to take that deep dive in into the audience yeah you know it's actually throughout the the lifespan of a campaign really um you know you, you could use these more advanced approaches in the discovery phase of a campaign um you could do more we haven't done it here but you know i've heard a lot of um, organizations doing more predictive analytics uh, throughout the implementation, um, and obviously there is you know optimizations that you could do running statistical models to get uh, a bigger bang for your buck um, when the campaign is ongoing, and obviously in the evaluation stage, um, you know there's other techniques that you could use there. So the analytical processes, you know, it's it's through the entire life cycle of a marketing communication campaign. In the, in the time that you've been working in this area, how big a change has this approach made to the way that you go about setting up um, the campaigns that you implement? It's huge. Um, and for me, it's been very recent. Um, you know, I, I joke about it, but I think my, my job is really to sort of implement the scientific method into what we do here. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a lot about culture change. It's um, changing and tweaking the mindset of marketing and communication, like establishing the hypotheses and research questions and controlling variables throughout the process so that you can really see the causality of, you know, the messaging you're developing, the timing of publication, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, it's that process that really helps us be data-driven data in terms of the marketing communications. Mm. So again, just going back to this process, so we, we've understood what those organization and policy objectives are, the North Star that we're, they were driving towards, and we've set mm -hmm. through some communication objectives in relation to uh, you know, the, the various stages, you know, be it the input stage, the output stage, you know, the, the organizational impact. And as mm -hmm. you, as you're diving in, into the audience, I'm, I'm really keen to sort of understand and get a, a sort of a visual picture of, you know, how big is your team? What are they doing? Uh, how are people tasked and how long does it take to sort of start to 
dive into this statistical analysis of, of the audience? Yeah, um, you know, we're not unlike a lot of global brands where we're fairly centralized in terms of, you know, content production, training, and and the measurement. Uh, but we do have staff at some of our regional offices who focus on marketing and communication, but have a better sense of, you know, their specific regions and audiences. Here at headquarters, though, we have a, a pretty robust team um, since most of the production is done in-house. Uh, that includes, you know, traditional press. We have writers, editors. We have a, a pretty significant digital team that includes social strategists, you know, videographer, photographers, email marketers, and a more traditional marketing team that focuses on a lot on branding and advertising. You know, we also have a web team and, you know, myself, of course. Uh, and we also have other staffs that are sprinkled throughout the agency that liaise with us and the department that they're sort of situated in. And so how, it's a fairly robust team. And how closely engaged are that, you know, the production team, you know, the writers, the editors, uh, the other people, how closely aligned are they to these sort of statistical analysis processes that you're running? You know, how readily are they able to get access to the insights that you're generating? Yes, I think our lens of analysis we use has different time horizons depending on, you know, what we're looking for in terms of the team and their connection to the statistical analysis. Um, that they're not so concerned with the actual analysis. I mean, I, they're more concerned with designing a framework or following the framework that we've designed um, so that we can do this analysis. Um, so, but you know, being a, a large government agency, our team is fairly nimble. We're able to, you know, like I said, it's dependent on what we're actually analyzing, if it's an ad hoc campaign or if it's sort of our ongoing strategy and tactics. We have different time horizons in terms of analysis and reporting and how we react to that. Um, but, you know, we, we try, especially for large media buys, um, like an ad hoc campaign, we we typically look at the data on a daily basis and, and try to pivot as necessary. Mm. And how... How hard is that in within a government agency to be able to be agile and to be able to respond to the signals that you're getting from the analysis? Uh, I think uh, <laughs> it's a loaded question, David. Um, <laughs> you know, I think typically it's not that easy. Um, the culture at Peace Corps is, based on my experience, very different from a typical government agency. Um, and so for us, it's, you know, like I said, we're very nimble and People are sort of thirsty for the data and that analysis and being more systematic at what we do. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case across government, but I know there is um, sort of the tsunami of uh, desire to be more data driven here in the U.S., yeah, and and I'm sure that and it doesn't surprise me that people are looking for, you know, the validation of of, of some of the content that they're either creating or some of the distribution uh, decisions that they've made as to whether or not they were right or whether they were wrong. Exactly. So you mentioned this framework that you've you've developed there at the Peace Corp. What does that look like? So, yeah. Um, let's see, so it's essentially as I said, we you know we. Initially, start off with goals that are measurable or, or smart. Um, as a team, we identify the key performance indicators and the metrics that we're going to use to determine if you know we've achieved those goals or if we need to pivot or tweak our strategy or tactics or whatnot. So they could. Um, so, so give me some examples, perhaps. Are they around maybe retention or reputation or uh, you know? Um, yeah, it could be. So. 
you know, it could be, you know, whether our goals are to increase brand awareness X percent or motivate potential applicants to apply, you know, we select KPIs that, that map to those goals and to the, you know, the social platforms or the tactics that we're using. Okay. So, if, you know, for example, on Facebook, a KPI could include engagement rate, reach, or some kind of direct response, um, again, dependent on what our overall goal is. Okay. Right. So, that, so that's the, the, the front end? Yeah, that's the front end. Um, and so, like I said, we categorize our, our content um, into the three buckets. As, you know, this, this allows us to see what content categories are performing the best each month in relation to those KPIs that we're tracking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we establish testing schedules. Um, so our team designs experiments in conjunction with our editorial calendar and reviews res results on a monthly basis. Um, what makes, you know, Pure A/B testing on social media platforms challenging is not being able to, you know, randomly sample from the population and the lack of control over the variables that, you know, can impact the content effectiveness. So, in order to mitigate the lack of control, we try to standardize our tests uh, so that some variables are the same, you know, such as day and time of publication, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, it's far from perfect, but we, we found this to be sort of a quote-unquote good enough approach. Um, you know, there might be ways to control more variables through paid promotions or whatnot, but, you know, those tools are, are not consistent across the social platforms that we're using. Um, so, you know, it's sort of a good enough approach in terms of uh, the level of analysis that we're doing there. Um, and, and then, you know, we collect and clean, clean the data. Um, on a lot of uh, the social platforms, you know, data is flow comes out, you export the data, but it's, you, know, you have paid and you have organic all meshed together. So, you know, we want to measure apples to apples. Um, so we sort of clean, clean it out and sort of separate the two. Um, and then we benchmark post level progress, um, against, you know, our historical data. And then we analyze, um, you know, when we're analyzing our results, you know, we listen to the data, but, you know, understand the limitations of the me methodology. Um, you know, we have, different levels of analysis to understand, you know, how things are playing out month to month. At a high level, um, we look at the effectiveness of the content categories as a whole in relation to each of the KPIs that we're measuring. Um, and to do this, we conduct statistical tests to see if, you know, overall difference between the categories is statistically significant. Um, you know, this tells us directionally, you know, how the categories are doing and helps us design experiments to optimize the content within lower performing categories. And also to derive insights from content in higher performing categories. Um, you know, we also look at content at a post by post level, analyzing the results from tests, but also content that wasn't tested, uh, but performing above benchmark. Um, all of these insights really help fuel our optimization efforts. Um, and after that, we just repeat. <laughs> yeah. It's an ongoing process. But in, interestingly, the, the sophistication that you're detailing there is really best practice in, yeah. in, in the whole process, isn't it? You really have developed a system there that is way ahead, I would imagine, of most people who are listening to this podcast who are trying to sort of, you know, even get started with setting, you know, smart objectives. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's, I don't want to take credit for this, you know, it's, it's sort of <laughs> like not? a framework that's, it's, it's a framework that's sort of been used for a long time. Um, it's, it's just the scientific method sort of tweaked to what we do. <laughs> and that's all it really is. It's, it, it does sound like a lot is, it is a mouthful, but um, really the more systematic we've gotten, the easier it has become to sort of design more 
uh, unique content. Um, once the, the the culture changed and people approached their work with this type of mindset, it became very easy. Okay. So it wasn't that hard for, for, for the people there at the Peace Corps to sort of transition from that traditional, more sort of softer skills, qualitative skills, creation skills to be able to incorporate this scientific method into the way they do things. I, I mean, I wouldn't say it was easy, David, Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I'm looking at it now, in hindsight, but, um, yeah, during, during the process, I mean, like I said, they, they don't really, um, deal with conducting the statistical analyses. That's sort of my job and my team. Um, they're, they're more, uh, focused on just following the framework. Um, and that, that in and of itself isn't that difficult for them. No, from what I've seen, anyways. No, but I imagine it, but the inputs to them would be, as you say, much more simplified, perhaps dashboards, which enable yeah. them to be able to sort of see, you know, yeah, exactly. how, how things are, are performing. So what advice would you have then for people who are, big, you know, very much at the beginning of this journey um, around embedding a, a more scientific method into their communications program? What, what advice do you have? Um, you know, I think first is to get the buy-in from senior leadership. Uh, that's incredibly important. And, you know, I think, um, it's, it's important to pilot this. Um, it, I wouldn't go about this designing an entire framework for every strategy, every tactic that, um, a department's using. Um, but, you know, test it out on maybe your social media or content marketing, maybe your email marketing or your, your paid digital, um, and just show the results from that, make your case and to sort of expand it to the quote unquote enterprise. Right. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that so that that's the starting point. So say say you've got the buy-in from the leadership and you've been able to uh, get a pilot project uh, approved. Mm-hmm. What are, what are the next steps after that? Well, you know, it's designing the framework. You can follow a similar framework as this. Um, and what I've done is, you know, I've developed quite a bit of training material for each of our team members. Um, a lot of in-person training. Um, you know, but it, also ensuring that you sort of your storefront and the analytics that are measuring your website and, and all of your, your marketing and communication is set up properly. Um, for instance, like use of UTM codes, making sure that's standardized, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And in terms of, you know, advice as to where people could, uh, perhaps learn more about, you know, either your framework or some other inspiration around other frameworks or, you know, learning more about, you know, applicable scientific methods, where are some of the resources that people could get a hold of to, to do a bit more reading and a bit more thinking about this particular adaptation of their particular area? Uh, well, DigitalGov uh, is a, a publication that is published out of the General Services Administration here. Um, and they have a lot of uh, thought leadership, best practices, and I, I contribute to that, that blog quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I would just search uh, for marketing analytic resor- resources, um, A-B testing resources, um, yeah, and uh, help designing, you know, smart goal related campaigns. Um, there's, there's a lot of material out there. 
Okay, so there's a lot of stuff out there that people can really get their heads around to start to, oh, yeah. you know, begin this this transition. Just to go back uh, into the framework, I'm intrigued about the, you know, designing these experiments. And again, this is this scientific method that you're talking about, and mm-hmm. you know, A/B testing. Uh, again, just describe exactly what a typical A/B test might look like for one of your campaigns. Sure. So, so you know, I think. Um, it's easier to describe A-B testing um, in relation to sort of landing page optimization. Uh, that's where, where it sort of started. Um, essentially, you know, you have two variants of messaging or, or whatever variable you want to test. Let's say you have two landing pages and you just want to test which one performs better in terms of driving conversions or whatnot. Essentially, what you'll do, you use an A-B testing tool um, that will sort of sample the population of traffic that you're receiving on that website um, to each of these pages, um, and it'll determine a winner statistically. Um, and essentially what you'll do then is just th- you know, drive all the traffic to the winning page, and theoretically you receive X number more conversions, right? Um, so th- this sort of uh, process has been used in email marketing. It's used in digital advertising. Um, and the framework that I design also scales to social media, Um but social media is a little different because the, the platforms themselves aren't designed to really sample from populations, um, which, is, which is why I created this framework, so that we could sort of control as many variables as we can. It's not perfect, but it's good enough for us, and it, it shows how we're doing in relation to our benchmark historically. And how often would you run these types of experiments in a, in a typical week? Um, so, you know, it's... Our tests are sort of designed in conjunction with uh, our editorial calendar, which is designed uh, or developed every month. Um, so, for social or content marketing, um, you know, we'll, we'll throw up a couple of experiments a week. Um, and the reason why it's slower for content marketing is that you know we have to control um, the day and time that we're publishing these. Um, um, because you know we, we don't want to test similar content on different days. We we want we want to make sure they're similar. Um, so you know for for social uh, you know handful of tests a month. Email marketing we're just getting into that, but that's where we can conduct you know, you know multiple tests a day. If we um, if we wanted to depending on the size of the, the list that we're sort of sending things out to. Um, and for ad hoc campaigns uh, like paid advertising. Uh, uh, on our digital channels, um, you know that those tests could be daily. Yeah, right. And in terms of then your reporting, where where does that go to within your organisation? You know, how are you taking this very valuable information and and, and creating um, you know improvements? Where, who do you talk to, and in in what way do you communicate this information? So. Uh, it depends. Um, if it's like a, an ad hoc campaign, uh, it's reporting that's going to the person that that's empowered to tweak the strategy or the tactics or or the budget. Um, however, you know we ha- we have more frequent routine reporting that goes to senior leadership in the, the agency just to see um, how things are doing. Um, but in terms of you know experiments or results from experiments, that goes to the manager who who has that power to to use the data, and make data driven decisions. And just how popular are the reports that you're producing? Um, well, the campaign uh, 
the ad hoc campaign reports are very, very popular. Um, you know, I think the routine dashboards are that you know we send out on a, on the month, monthly basis are well received. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't the, those reports aren't super data driven. Um, they're more more of you know a descriptive analysis of what happened the month before. So. Yeah, but I can imagine though that that people are getting so much more information and relevant information through your process than they ever were able to achieve in the past. Oh yeah, definitely. At least in terms of marketing communication, there there are a lot of departments here who sort of want to take this approach or these types of approaches to a lot of the other stuff we're doing. More specifically, workforce analytics and that type of stuff. So we'll see. <laughs> there is a lot of appetite for making data-driven decisions for sure. Yeah. And in terms of just those overarching benefits, when you look at it and when you sort of put your head on the pillow at night and close your eyes and you think to yourself, well, what have, <laughs> you know, what have I achieved today? What are some of the real tangible benefits that you're able to, uh, you know, commit to yourself that you think, yeah, okay, I, I did some good work today? Yeah, you know, um, I got into the government because, you know, I wanted to work for an organization that was mission driven. Um, and with that said, you know, we as a government employee, I consider myself a steward of the taxpayer dollar. So uh, the more I could get out of every dollar we spend um, makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I, I get really excited and I, I like to nerd out on the more advanced <laughs> analytic approaches like data mining, predictive analytics and stuff. So the more I could do that and the, the work I do here, the better. It's wonderful and it, it is the future and there's no question that these, you know, the scientific methodology is is going to underpin the way that we communicate in the future and all of us uh, who are in this business really have to get our heads around it. And I know it's it's foreign to someone like me. You know, my background is in journalism. You know, I'm a storyteller, a writer and you know, right. I, was, I wasn't good at maths. This isn't what I'm into and I probably speak for, <laughs> you know, most people that... You know, it's it's challenging, but I, I don't think we've got any choice, do we, other than to really put the bit between the teeth and really try to understand it. Now, the other thing being, I suppose, we don't really have to be scientists ourselves, but we just have to understand how the process works to a degree so that it can improve yeah. the way that we that we do our work. Exactly, David. And, you know, let me tell you a little story. I, I started my career as a journalist as well. So, you know, there's hope for everyone if I could do it. <laughs> Okay, so so in that, were you were you always interested in in maths and science? Um, you know, I, I had a very similar mindset as you. You know, I I like learning new things, which is why I was sort of attracted to journalism. I was a stringer for the Associated Press. I, I got a staff position here in DC as a writer. Um, but you know, like when I got into journalism, it, the field was changing, and I saw how powerful content marketing was. It wasn't called that back in the day, but um, I, I saw. The needle shifting or moving, right? Um, and so, you know, I got into digital strategy, um, developing digital marketing communication campaigns, and just the plethora of data that I was receiving. I mean, the writing was sort of on the wall for me. So, you know, I went back to school and I, I begrudgingly learned statistics. Yeah, right. <laughs> to the degree that you know I could get by and develop these type of things and, and test this type of stuff. So, so, so you actually went away and did some. Uh, additional education in in sort of statistical methods and other things. You know, I did, um, but to be honest, uh, the application of what I do doesn't require, you know, the the knowledge of developing 
algorithms or, or knowing how to data mine huge big you know quote unquote big data sets it's uh, you know a, a fairly simplistic understanding of statistics um, and the scientific method will take you a long way in marketing communication I think okay all right well listen I'm I'm inspired I'm gonna go out there and do a <laughs> bit of multivariate testing a bit of you know a B testing on landing pages we'll see how we go I'm trying I I, I'm trying it's 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 a really interesting uh, development in my career is to just like I, I just got to get into this and we've got and I can see the value in speaking to you and and listening to about your framework and that process that you're moving through from setting those smart objectives and then really just understanding as you say the scientific method it really doesn't have to be that complicated uh, we can apply it and the value is there. I think that's the big takeout from this is that the output at the end of the day is that we're going to be better at our jobs, we're going to get better results and we're going to get better outcomes for the people that we work for. So, um, And in the end, ultimately strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens, which is the game that we're in in content marketing in the public sector. So thanks very much, mate. I really appreciate your time. And uh, as I say, you've inspired me to get out there and, and learn a little bit more. And I'm, and I'm sure that there's probably some people listening to the podcast who are probably reaching for a stiff drink, thinking to themselves, <laughs> God, where do I start? But I think you've given us a really good good pathway. And and, and thanks again for those uh, you know referrals as to where we can get that additional information so people can go and start to learn about this very, very important, uh, the coming wave, the future of, of marketing, communication and content marketing. So thank you very much for joining us in Transition. And thanks very much to everyone for uh, tuning in for another week. A great podcast this week with Chris Rotten from the Peace Corp. See you next week. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.